0: Mm. Mm-hmm. you. Welcome to Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast that discusses common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. My name Did is you Matt. just say, Ancha"? I don't know what I
1: said. I don't either. This is our friendly banter we promise will be short. I'm Matt Henry. We're done. No
0: okay, more so, banter. What we, so what are we talking about?
1: Ecclesiology. We finish out the spirit. Um, and of course, on all of these points of systematic theology, we could say a lot more, right? Yeah, absolutely uh, and at some point um we will we'll we'll get into maybe something super super deep but in many situations that would just bore the pants off you um so now we're going to move into ecclesiology which is a very difficult subject to teach on um in a podcast uh and because of the variety of views what does Pro- ecclesiology mean it what does it get in there okay it means the doctrine of the church and so that and eschatology, what's that mean? I'm getting there. <laughs> We're both in the mood. We have wasted an entire day trying to exchange Ethiopian burr, which is their money, because they've changed their money to
0: combat counterfeiters. Well you, you you so you drove to Milwaukee Airport, you got rejected.
1: Yeah, they didn't even have a currency exchange. I called
0: my bank and they said they could do it. So we go there
1: and I was rejected. I called Wolf Fargo. They said they could. And then when I went there, they said, oh, you don't have an account. We can't.
0: So today we drove down to O'Hare in Chicago.
1: Yeah. So an hour drive, wander around surreptitiously because technically we're not allowed in the airport because we didn't have a ticket. You know, COVID. It knows if you have a ticket or not. And we go up to the currency exchange and the Ethiopian burr doesn't exist. Just <laughs> 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 shoot me now. So well,
0: anyhow. Like I said. Africa is yeah, still keeps, being Africa here. Yeah,
1: it makes you pay. Anyhow, so with all of that, we're in a bit of a mood, and you get to listen to it. So um, eschatology is what? Doctrine of last things. So ecclesiology, eschatology, probably the two most controversial or difficult to teach on, uh, simply because there's a wide variety of views, Right. Yep. So the reason um, is not so much, though, what the biblical text says, but actually how you're going to interpret the text. Um, A lot of times when you're reading a commentary, it's real strange. You'll read a good exegetical commentary, and they'll they'll make excellent points. And you're like, I am in complete agreement. But then when they sum it all up, they abandon their exegesis and then go back to their systematic theology that says it must mean this. And that's where the frustration lies is— what
0: is the system that you're using, if you have one, in which you approach the Scripture? Well, it's a tough one because we all have our own traditions right. and experiences that we're bringing to bear on doctrine of the church, and so that informs, in part, how we interpret the passages. Even, like you're saying, if there's good exegesis, it like goes out the window because this is my tradition.
1: Yeah. Um, so... There's various ways, like you said, there are systems that uh, they embrace, um, and it leads them to see passages one way or the other. And this is a major issue that many Christians simply don't seem to grasp. And as a result, what they end up doing is living with a ton of theological uh, contradictions because they read and listen to a broad spectrum of people, and they think they're doing themselves a favor, but in many ways they're not. Um, so, you listen to a John Piper and then a John MacArthur, then a Matt Chandler, then an R.C. R- Sproul, then a Paul Washer, and then you throw in a little bit of Carl Truman in. Um, they read Kevin DeYoung along with uh, Vody Bockham. Later, they decide to read the Institutes of John Calvin, but also the selected works of Martin Luther. Uh, Jonathan Edwards is their theologian of choice but they also love A.W. Tozer. And what they don't understand is all of those people have different theological systems. And and because of that, they don't realize that as they're listening to these people, though because they're gifted in their writing or their preaching, that they're being taken along a path. Not necessarily a bad path, but they're being taken down a path. And because they hold to these various theological systems, um, you need to be aware of them. And so what you're going to hear from us is um, our position on these things. You may not agree with us. That's okay. You're wrong, but it's okay. <laughs> um, but for most of the listeners, I would say within those who are listening to us, if they have a system that they have identified, they would fall into, in one way or another, covenant theology or dispensational theology. Um, mm-hmm. Some of you I know hold to a Lutheran theology, uh, which is, again, a different system. Um, We also are aware of a few old-line Pentecostals. Uh, They have a unique one. And a few more of you are coming from what's called a Wesleyan-Arminian school of theology. So just realize that we're aware that there's a lot of different theological schools. We're not going to try to get into long debates with those different positions. Um, But it is always helpful for you to understand where other brothers and sisters are coming from. So hopefully we can uh, do this study in a way that's helpful and encouraging and also instructive to you. So take all of that and there are these subgroups that make this all the more challenge, and that's what we're trying to say. Um, we're not trying to expend a lot of energy proving our points or disproving. Um, first of all, it's impossible to do in this format. Um, in fact, it's almost impossible to do in any format. We have learned over the years that the best way to change a person's position is by spending time with them, face to face, where we can systematically teach them and interact with them. Allow them to interrupt. Ask a lot of questions. In other words, if you're going to affect real change, usually it's going to have to be very personal. The second way we do it is to dis- uh, Second thing we want to say is to disprove most positions requires a level of examination of the biblical text that would cause most listeners to frankly sign off. Uh, To deal with most controversies would require you to have a notebook open, your Bible open, and a large amount of time to set aside to think and to study. Also, I would argue that they have to trust us, too, because at some point we're going to get into the languages and, and the intricacies of it. And your average person is just not going to be able to track with that. So they're either going to believe what you say or not. Um, Have you run into that, like, you ever preach something and then somebody said, well, that's not what D.A. Carson, since he was one of your professors, that's not what he says? Mm -mm. Where you just are, at that point, you've just been brushed aside. (laughs) You're like... I used to no. get that with John MacArthur people would have their John MacArthur study Bible open oh, and they sure. come up afterwards and say, "Hey, uh, pastor, you know, that's not what John MacArthur says." I'm like, "And I think he's wrong." And they're like, "That's kind of arrogant of you." I'm like, "No, John would say the same thing of <laughs> me, and it's not arrogant of him. I, I I honestly think he's wrong." But it's amazing because you're not John MacArthur. Sure. The presumption is that you must be wrong. Um now we we know we push the limits of what a podcast is already supposed to be. We don't want to waste your time with a lot of banter. We tend to go deeper into passages than many do, but we don't really care. Um, We're trying to do this because we're actually doing the podcast first and foremost for our own church to give them a resource to go to when questions arise, and we hope that those who listen in along with them Um, benefit from that. So what you'll get from us on these next two major theological systems is primarily our view with occasional forays
0: into the other systems. Sure. So when it comes to ecclesiology, uh, there's some issues to consider uh, when talking about this doctrine. So first of all, let me give a quote from Millard Erickson's uh, Systematic Theology. He says, the church is at once a very familiar and very misunderstood topic, It is one of the few aspects of Christian theology that can be observed, but for all of this familiarity, there are frequently considerable confusion and misunderstandings concerning the church. Part of this misunderstanding results from the multiple usages of the term church. In addition to the confusion generated by the multiple usages of the term church, there is evidence of confusion at a more profound level, a lack of understanding of the basic nature of the church. Among the reasons for this lack of understanding is the fact that at no point in the history of Christian thought has the doctrine of the Church received the direct and complete attention which other doctrines have received. Um, that, although more are coming out now. Yeah, now. Erickson's, he was writing what in the '80s, probably. Uh, I think it was '80s. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's a good—it's a good one. But even now, though, it's still—it's a hotly debated issue. It was. Um,
0: well, what yeah, you just said. Sure. <laughs> Well, he uh, so he goes on to describe one of the major problems then related to this. He says, in addition to the confusion generated by multiple usages of the term church, there is evidence of confusion at a more profound level, a lack of un- misunderstanding of the basic nature of the church. Didn't I read that already?
1: No. Or maybe. I don't know. doesn't oh. matter. You read it again.
0: <laughs> oh, uh, here's a different quote. Um the the emphasis on matters such as social change and mission rather than on the church itself is due in part to a general shift to a secular way of thinking that's a big that's a big point though to we're having a secular influence into the influence
1: church influence into right? the church and then then that defines what the church is and this whole social justice right. the whole missional uh, ideas so often is corrupted by that, but go ahead. Yeah,
0: well, when you start going pragmatics versus right. well, biblical yeah. principles, At I mean, some point. this is what happens in large measure. So he goes on to put it another way, there has been a major modification in the way in which God is viewed. There is far more stress on his imminence than his transcendence. That's a very uh, keen observation, I think.
1: It's a good theology. I think he, overall he's more helpful
0: than unhelpful his, do, do you have that theology? That was my yeah, seminary. That was the one I had to use... Um, for systematic theology one in mind
1: oh really mm-hmm.
0: yeah um so i didn't have him through uh two and three we had other texts but um he got he meaning god is no longer viewed as relating to the world only through the agency of his supernatural institution the church in general the church is no longer looked upon as the sole embodiment of the divine presence and activity as god's special agent rather there is widespread conception that God dynamically relates to the world through many avenues or institutions. That's a that pluralism and yep. syncretism coming in. Um, the emphasis is upon what God is doing, not upon what he is like. So, and you'll hear that a lot today. Um, even like, you know, I hear this all the time with church planners, especially untrained ones who are, you know, this is what God's doing in the city or we, we sense him moving here or he's doing that. You know, in our
1: uh, convention, I heard over and over and again, "Look, it's our job to figure
0: out where God is at work and just join Him." Right.
1: I'm like, "What does that
0: mean?" Where the Spirit's more present. Yeah. I heard that one too. Um, versus starting with the person of God, what he what is he like, <laughs> yeah. and what does he demanded for his church, and then make certain
1: that we conform to that character, and then look at the actual in, uh, imperatives right. that he
0: commands the church. It's like, huh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Anyhow. Um, so to resolve the, the problem, that problem right there, we would say that what we have to do is therefore, well, first and foremost, recover a solid exegetical theology of the church. Um, and, and this is what is often the problem. A uh, little time is spent going back to the text and just examining what it's actually saying and doing the hard and dirty work of sound exegesis. Yep. Um, so so too many think that learning theology requires you to read theology um, but actually, what we would say is it requires you first to exegete the Bible. Uh, that's a better way to approach theology. But it's a lot slower. And harder. Yeah. Yeah. Harder. Yeah. Harder. Um, oh, golly. And and then given time, as you exegete the scriptures and you just start working through them systematically, which is why I love expositional preaching, uh, in time you then develop your right. theology, theology up out of that. But if you only study theology and you're only reading you know, systematic works that have already been done, then over time it tends to color your attempts at exegesis.
1: Yeah, because you've heard it so many times through those theological texts. This is what, these are the proof texts, this is what it says, but you never actually looked at those and tore them apart. When you finally get to them, you don't even still look at them. You just assume that that's what they mean. Right. Hence our little side series that we're doing on, we haven't come up with a name yet, but you know where we're going to look at passages throughout the Bible that people misuse all the time, and we're just going to exegete them for you.
0: Right. So, so if you're just if you're just studying Burkauer, for instance, yeah. his views and perspectives on the Lord's Supper or uh, baptism, what he labels in his systematic theology as the means of grace. Well, now you're just going to kind of you're going to fall in line with that tradition, and that's yep. going to color now how you view the scriptures when you come to passages on baptism or Lord's Supper Ber- or or gasp london baptist confession
1: of 1689 yeah maybe it's not
0: well, infallible you just got shut off i know
1: that's okay <laughs> but how many times have we heard in before i got out of reform pub that they 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 would the arguments were settled on what did the westminster confession say it's like i don't give a flying rat's tail what it says right show me the text and that it, but it doesn't and people shut down their confession, and that's what it is, and and all of a sudden, they've shifted authority off of the scripture, and actually- they, confession, Yeah, right. and, they, and they actually violate the very tenet of the reformers, which was constantly, or it's what, semper reformda, uh, always Reformen, reforming. Yeah. And
0: it's like, no, we stopped in 1689. We stopped. So I think in their mind, though, what they're saying is, no, but we think that this confession is solidly built off of biblical exposition, and that's where you and I would just Challenge it. We would say, "Well, then, that let, fine. Let's look Fair at those, Let's go look at the text. Yeah, let's right. look at these verses that they uh, uh, pin at the end." And yeah, but anyhow, go ahead. Right. So, I mean, this happens a lot. So, if you know you're doing Bible studies and you make a, a comment on something or draw a conclusion on something, and someone will just you know shout, "It can't mean that. It can't mean exactly <laughs> what you're saying." Um, wh- well, this is coming because a Bible verse that was just exegeted in their presence is is now challenging their theological position. And it's revealing that they're committed to their position more than they're committed to what the text actually is saying. But I do love people who will still wrestle with it and it takes weeks, months sometimes. You have that great story with uh, the Lutheran, um, in the church. Um, so, so we are going to do what we always do. And we're going to give a lot of scripture and use that to guide our points. And in doing so, we're going to, we hope that you'll find it enlightening, but also encouraging. So, um, we're just going to begin with some very foundational points here in this episode, so you want to pick up the yeah, church. As- yeah, so the first thing
1: that we're going to argue, um, not really argue, just state, is that the church is the possession of God. And so in Acts 20, 28, Paul gathers Ethiop- an Ethiopian, uh, the uh, elders from Ephesus and, and, and speaks to him because he's leaving. He says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. For what purpose? To shepherd, and here's the key phrase, the church of God or God's church, which he purchased with his own blood. So that's Acts 20, 28. Now, it's a genitive of possession is what it's called. In other words, um, that church of God means it's it's the church which belongs to God. It's his possession. Uh, now, we might add that, as in the it's a great passage for you to keep, mar- uh, you know, some kind of highlight on it. Because if you're ever talking to a Je- Jehovah's Witness, you can show them that Christ has to be God, because here it's God's church which He purchased with His own blood, and so mm-hmm. he, th- we we already know who died. And that's Christ. And so it's very important that you remember that passage when you're talking to them. But it's also sobering because Paul is warning the elders of Ephesus that the church for which they are caring for is not theirs. It is God's, and we would argue that many pastors and elders would do well to remember this as they make decisions in ministry. What Too often, people are, what can promote my brand? What can get me the speaking engagement? What can this or that? It's like, it's not your church. It's, it's God's church. Uh, the next passage would be 1 Corinthians 1-2, where Paul says, to the church of God, again, a possessive, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, etc. Again, we have the phrase, the church of God. That's not just filler <laughs> um, in, in these introductory comments by Paul. He's actually very intentional here. And if you will, in the very very opening of this letter, it's his first salvo, into this incredibly messed up church that their problems and their sin that he's going to then address are affecting what God possesses. It's like, you guys are off doing all your weird stuff, but do you understand this is God's church? And that that's so important, again, to remember. So he, he flushes that critical concept out then in chapter 3, where he repeatedly refers to the church as belonging to God via these various metaphors. So in 1 Corinthians 3:9, for we are God's fellows, fellow workers, you are God's fill, field, uh, God's building. Um, in 1 Corinthians 3:16, you are God's temple. And therefore those who work in God's field or build within God's building are described as God's fellow workers. Uh, again, very critical that we understand that when we're talking about the church it is God's. He purchased it. Uh, 1 Timothy 3.15, he says, but in case I am delayed, I write so that you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the support of truth. Um, I actually did a series early on in my ministry as a pastor off of this verse, uh, just in an effort to get the people to begin to think carefully about how they would view their attendance and their actions while gathering together. In other words, you know, you come wandering in consistently 20 minutes late. What does that tell you about how you view God's church? Um, how you dress, how you comport yourself, how you sing, how you give, all of those things um, are important because what you're doing when the church gathers um, is, is expressing how you view the church that God uh, bought Mm -hmm. or purchased. So everything was premised off that idea that it's not our church, but it's God's. And so when we think about the church and we deal with members of the church, we're not dealing just with people, but we're dealing with God's people. And if we remember that pastorally, it helps us because some people are difficult. Um, People would argue that I can be difficult. I know, I know. But When we remember, we're still brothers and sisters, and we've been purchased by God, uh, it helps. Then one more, uh, in 1 Peter 5, 1 through 2. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder, in witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain but eagerness. It's interesting that Paul and Peter both are talking to elders and they remind the elders it's God's church. Mm-hmm. Um in fact even in 1 Corinthians 3 he's talking about the people who are teaching and building on the foundation of Jesus Christ. It's that it's God's field, it's God's building. You better deal
0: with it yeah. rightly. Well, and what I also like about that verse in line with what you're saying about how he is talking to elders, he says Um, he's a partaker also of the glory that is to be real, shepherd the flock of God among you. Um, You know, and how many pastors these days are so worried about everything beyond their ministry, the people in their church. Um, Instead, you know, they're losing sight of the fact that you've gotten one responsibility and it's shepherd the people among you. We could go on and on on that because how, again, going into that idea of
1: promoting your brand and everything else where the church becomes a means for you to promote yourself rather than you realizing that if everything else was exploding, but it was harming, you know, like we were just doing awesome with our podcast. We were number one. We were starting to realize, man, we're making money. We're getting book deals. We're having this and that. But it's harming our church because we're not there.
0: Sure. Yeah. It's a, I mean, if we're going to be biblical. Or your sermon starts suffering because... Right, you're doing podcast stuff.
1: Right, right. You know, at, well, fortunately, we have elders who would then have a talk with us. <laughs> but, but you know, there's a lot of men who would then say, "You know what? I don't need you anymore. I've got my ministry. I mean, James McDonald, whatever." Sure. But at that point, the decision becomes very simple if you're truly committed to God's churches. You're like, those things have to decrease because I have to shepherd the people who I am among. And yeah. so it's an excellent observation. Well, and one
0: of the things that helps with that is the next point here is remembering that Christ is Lord of the church. Um, so Matthew 16, 18 says, and I, this is Jesus talking, I also say to you that you are Peter and upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not overpower it. Um, so, so there you're seeing Christ as Lord, that he is the one building his church. Um, so through through metaphors used also throughout the New Testament, we see that Christ has been given first position in this church. So, so the church is the building, but Christ is described as the cornerstone. Um, the church is a flock, but Christ is described as the chief shepherd. Um, the church is also described in other times as a body um, for which Christ is then designated as the head. Um, so he, he has that priority, that first position and preeminence, if you will. Um, the church's identity exists and is defined, therefore, because of Christ. Right. Um, so some passages, Romans 12, 4 through 5, for just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body where? In Christ right. and individually members of one another. Um, so again, we're we're one body, but because of Christ, and so He defines it all, and our identity is because of Him. Galatians three twenty eight. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. Why? Again, for you are all one in Christ Jesus.
1: You know what? Before you go on, that's what what really bothered me when I saw the tweet by Thabiti, where he's like, "Until you first, I, I'll, I'll." I'm going to paraphrase it, but maybe you got it memorized or something. But it, until you first view me as a black man, I don't want you to view me as a brother in Christ, or you know. And it's like that is that's categorically opposite what Galatians three just says. Look, no, don't identify first what they are in their social or ethnic uh, makeup. First, identify them in Christ. And mm-hmm. it's like that's why we're gonna constantly be at odds with a guy like the Beatty because he's demanding first we see him and identify him outside of Christ before we can identify with him in Christ. And we're like, can't do it. In fact, it'll never work because the moment we start identifying each other outside
0: of Christ, the differences are your foundations. Yeah. Off, yeah. Um a good observation. Galatians 5, 6, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. And again, how? Well, for in Christ Jesus, there's none of these things. Um, Ephesians 1, 9 through 10, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ Jesus things in the heavens and things upon the earth. Uh, so again, there we're just seeing Christ as um, the definer of, yeah. he's the one who is making us one and has brought about this church, if you will. So we're gonna give some some definitions of the church right now. Um, and we're gonna go back and forth on these. And these are some quotes from various theologians. Mm-hmm. And here we're trying to show um, how many uh, of these theologians differ with one another with regard to what they understand the church to be, essentially. Um, so so it's just a glimpse into the challenge of teaching right. on, on what is the church is our point uh, in this introduction episodes here. So you want to give this first sure. one? Sure.
1: So uh, Wayne Grudem, uh, he says, the church is the community of all true believers for all time. That's key, for all time. This definition understands the church to be made of all those who are truly saved. Paul says Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her in Ephesians 5.25. Here, the term the church is used to apply to all those whom Christ died to redeem all those who are saved by the death of Christ, but that must include all true believers for all time, both believers in the New Testament age and believers in the Old Testament age as well. So that's, that's
0: Grudem. Yep. Um, so here's another one from... Sosi. Yeah, from Robert. Um... You say saucy? Yeah, that's how it is. Oh, not saucy, huh? It looks like saucy, <laughs> but it's saucy. Yeah. Um, so he says, the church is God's assembly. Its beginning, its history, and its glorious destiny all rest upon the infinitive uh, or the initiative and power of divine grace. It is a, a people called forth by God, incorporated into Christ, and indwelt by the Spirit. Now, hit, I know his book, and I know that, what he's,
1: that the key there is... Uh, the incorporation into Christ, and the indwelling by the Spirit, because that's something very unique. So he is not including Old Testament. Right. Um, the Father's calls—here's uh, Damaris and Lewis. Uh, the Father calls repentant believers into a new community headed by the Son and created by the Spirit. Converts are renewed for fellowship with the triune God and with one another. Um. Oh, and uh, and then this one,
0: next one, there's two— Oh, Raymond. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, here's a two-part quote. He says um, in his systematic theology of the Christian faith, the church in Scripture is composed of all the redeemed in every age who are saved by grace through personal faith in the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ. Uh, And then he quotes, and then he says, the seed of the woman, and then is referencing Genesis 3.15, and suffering Messiah, Isaiah 53, 5 through 10. Uh, The church of God in Old Testament times... It's already there, you're seeing it. Yeah, The church of God in Old Testament times rooted initially and prophetically in the Proto-Evangelium, which is Genesis 3.15, um, and covenantally in the Genesis Patriarchs, Romans 11.28, blossomed mainly within the nation of Israel. However, this church was not equivalent to the nation of Israel per se, for there were always some, and sometimes many, if not most, within that nation who were never more than the physical seed of Abraham." The true church of the Old Testament was the spiritual seed of Abraham, that that Israel, in quotation marks, within the nation of Israel about whom the Apostle Paul speaks in Romans 9, 6 through 8. So we can look at that. You and I, we already
1: know theologically where he's landing. Um, He gives away a lot of points. He goes on to state, regarding the church in the New Testament, that that the church of the New Testament age, essentially one within the church of the old dispensation, came to consist of particular churches throughout the Roman Empire in which true believers in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ assembled for worship of the triune God. From the beginning, the church was viewed essentially as the elect of God and a communion of saints living under apostolic authority and as the body of Christ and the fellowship of the Spirit. So he, he he sees it from beginning to end, that is the church of God.
0: Yep, and what's interesting, here's a good old covenant guy who uses the language of dispensation. Yes. As you've pointed out in the past. Um, so here's one from J.I. Packer's Concise Theology. He says, the church exists in, through, and because of Jesus Christ, thus it is a distinctive New Testament reality Yet it is at the same time a continuation through a new phase of redemptive history of Israel, the seed of Abraham, God's covenant people of Old Testament times.
1: Yeah, so that's pure covenant theology coming through there where there's this one covenant of grace, and so it's really just a continuation. It may look new, but it's not because it's all under that covenant of grace. That Yeah is not biblical, but theologically derived. <laughs> how, how about that? <laughs> sure, sure. Um the, the The point of that, it's important how you define the church, because it's usually based off of other points of theology. That's what's so weird about doctrine of ecclesiology. Many define it purely in what are uh, the fancy words, soteriological terms or points of salvation. Right. It, very common in the Reformed camp. However, the question arises in many, in the mind of many, including myself, if that's a valid view of what makes you a part of the church. There appears to be a lot more to being in the church of Christ than simply being redeemed or saved or having faith. Um, and so, yeah. our working definition is that the church is made up of all who are elect in Christ, indwelt by the Spirit, and have been spiritually baptized with the Spirit into spiritual union with Christ. And we'll develop that. Yeah, Um, over time.
0: Yeah. Um, so there you go. Uh, that's just our first dip into this pool called ecclesiology. Um, we hope it sets the stage a little bit for some good episodes where, where we can all begin to appreciate the grandeur of the church and, uh, really be moved to have a greater love for her, which is the point of ecclesiology. Um, so, so we hope this episode finds you walking in faith and obedience Uh, Think about what was said, and don't be afraid to send us your questions or thoughts. Um, Even if there's points in ecclesiology that you would like to hear developed more specifically, I'd be interested in that. Um, But next time we'll look at the, the key terms related to the church. Um, But until then, make sure to tune in, join the conversation. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the church or ecclesiology. Uh, Please give us a five-star rating and leave a review on iTunes. It does help us. Don't forget to like, share, comment, rate, review on your platform of choice. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and tell a friend.